Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Neighborhood Church. This message was given by Danny Strange. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of 2 Corinthians. And take out your outlines as well. We will be in chapter 3 this morning and a little bit of chapter 4. few weeks ago we were in 1 Corinthians and after we read the text and pray this morning we'll talk a little bit about what's changed in Paul's relationship with this church. But Paul writes this chapter and the preceding six verses to share a little bit about his passion for ministry and the power that comes behind that passion. So listen here as I read 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and the first six verses of chapter 4. Paul writes to the church at Corinth Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord... The veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we've renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the word plainly, the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. 
and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Let's pray together this morning. Fathers, we get a glimpse into the passion of the Apostle Paul. We recognize right away that his passion was you. We pray that we would have so much passion for you and for your ministry and for your son and for the work of your spirit that it would overflow into an amazing, fruitful ministry where lives are being transformed all over the place, not because of us, but because of you. We thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross and rise to new life. That he paid the penalty for our sins. He suffered on our behalf so that if we might believe in him, we will not perish but have everlasting life. We pray for those this morning who may have that veil still covering their hearts, have not yet met Jesus and had their sins forgiven and been given new life, that you would take that veil away, help them to see Christ clearly this morning through your word so that they might be freed to live life eternal. Pray that you would open our eyes to the way that you would have us to live in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Since we left 1 Corinthians, much has changed in the relationship that Paul has with the people of Corinth. You would have thought that after writing that chapter we talked about a few weeks back where Paul defends his apostleship, the people would be convinced that Paul is the real deal. That he's not just in it for the money. That he's not a huckster, that he's not a gospel salesman. But unfortunately, after Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, some folks showed up in Corinth and started to lead the people astray. They started pounding into the minds of the people that Paul was a false teacher. That the real gospel was not Paul's gospel, but something else. And so Paul himself decided to go down to Corinth and have a conversation, a hard one, with the people of the city. When Paul got there, it didn't make things better. He was opposed publicly by some of these false teachers or people in the church who just came after him and almost wrote him out of the city. So Paul left the city, sat down, and wrote another letter to the church at Corinth that we don't have. He calls it the severe letter. And maybe it's good we don't have it. He writes this letter to address what's happened to this church, a church that was dear to his heart, a church that he worked with a year and a half to really get up and running and help them to understand who Jesus was and has now gone astray. He writes this severe letter, and something about that letter or the circumstances or the Spirit of God working started to change people's hearts. Paul received word that the people were starting to come back around and see the real gospel again, to really start to understand that Paul maybe wasn't a false teacher, but he was the real deal. He was a real apostle. So Paul pens 2 Corinthians, on one hand to commend them for their repentance to come back to the truth, but on the other hand to still have to defend himself and his apostleship with those people. Paul is in an awkward situation. He's got a group of people he's writing to, and some of them are for him, some are against him, some are on the fence, and yet Paul is able to stand in confidence and present the gospel. It's a confidence that I wish I could have sometimes. Paul was a man who went all around the world bringing the gospel to people, and no matter what they did to him, he went after it again. They kick him out of their city, he gets back up and walks back into the city. They reject him, he goes after them and seeks them out. 
They don't listen. He keeps moving forward. Paul seems like this beautiful picture of amazing confidence in the work of God, confidence that I think all of us would love to have. As Paul writes this letter, he gives us a glimpse into what his confidence is from. If you look at verse 4 in chapter 3, Paul claims that such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. If you're taking notes this morning, you can start here. Powerful ministry is all about God. And it's funny, that that answer is the right answer. But a lot of times that answer kind of seems like the brush-off answer. My wife was very sick this week, throwing up and all that, and and my kids all got it, and I was out of town. (laughs) And so on Sunday, I was up in Portland, I was taking a class, and she called and she said, I am just out of it, and the kids are out of it, and I think we're all going to die here. I don't know what's going to (laughs) happen. And so her dad, my father-in-law, found out what was going on, and he said, hey, I'll take care of you guys. He took the day off of work on Monday. He came down and kind of entered into the hot zone, put on one of those big yellow suits probably in the <laughs> dealing with stuff, took the kids to school, cleaned up, made some food for everybody, and just cared for people throughout the day until Jessica was well enough to go and care for everyone else who was throwing up for the rest of the week. My father-in-law is a man who is very compassionate. He has a servant's heart. And in a lot of ways, with those aspects of his life, I want to come and emulate those things. And yet if I would go to him and say, Tom, what's your secret? How are you such a compassionate man? How are you such a servant of all people? What is your secret? He would probably say, it's God. I love Jesus. And because I love Jesus and he loves me, I've been sent out to do these things. And if he said that to me, I would say, well, yes, of course, it's all about God. But that out of the way, what's your secret? How do you do that? Of course it's about God. God is the center of all things, but really, what is your secret? A lot of times we give the, oh, it's all about God thing as the dismissal. and say, you know what, I don't want to talk about all my good things that I'm doing. It's about God. It's all about him. Let's move on to another topic. But with Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he gives the it's all about God answer, it, it doesn't dismiss the issue for him. It fans it into flame. He, he starts saying, oh, no, no, my ministry, it's all about God. He's given me any confidence that I have. He's given me any competence that I have. He's given me the ministry that I have. And in fact, his spirit works in me and so that everything I do is powered by his spirit. And he does amazing things around the world when I simply show up and let him work. And Paul's a, it's all about God mentality, fires him up to spend the next like four chapters going after this concept of powerful ministry. For Paul, the fact that it's all about God did not dismiss the issue. It fanned it into flames. And he comes and starts talking about the amazing relationship that all of us have with God that sometimes we take for granted. You can see it in in verse 6 when he kind of takes off running with his concept. Paul says he has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills but the Spirit gives life. Paul's excited about this concept of ministry in the new covenant. And to describe that, what he does is he paints a picture of what life was like in the Old Testament. He says, remember Moses? Moses who saved the people through the Red Sea by the power of God? 
who came into the desert and God said, I want you to come, I want you to give you the Ten Commandments. Paul reminds us that when Moses went up to Mount Sinai, it was a glorious occasion. There was fire and thunder. Dark clouds covered all things. The people were warned that they should not come near the mountain or touch it or they will die instantly. And yet God, through the midst of all that, called Moses to come up on the mountain where he would give him the Ten Commandments. So Moses, with fear and trembling, goes up on the mountain and receives the law from God. He brings the law down to the people and his experience that he had with God was so magnificent that Moses is literally and physically shining. His face is glowing. Like one of those glowworm dolls that I used to have when I was a little kid. Remember those? That's what I picture. Moses' face was just radiating the glory of God like it was a mirror or something. He had seen God's glory and boom, it was exploding from him. So much so that Moses had to put this veil over his face because the people couldn't look at him. And, and it would fade away and he'd meet with the people. Then he'd go meet with God and the face would come back. And then he'd put the veil on and he'd meet with the people. And then the fading would happen and he'd go back. And over and over again, Moses received this amazing glory from the Lord. And he shined it at the people, and yet he had to hide it because he didn't want to blind his friends. Paul says that's a magnificent, glorious picture. But he says, but the ministry that I have, and the ministry that we have in the new covenant, is much, much more glorious. Paul's fired up about powerful ministry, because it's all about God and because it's amazingly glorious. Paul gives us three things about why our ministry is more powerful than the Old Testament ministry. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. He says, number one, new covenant ministry brings life, not death. It's amazingly glorious in that it brings life, not death. It brings righteousness, not condemnation. And whereas the glory in the old covenant was temporary, ours is eternal. Life, righteousness, eternal. Paul says Moses' experience was amazing. He received the law of God in his own hands. He had the glory of God shining from his own face. And yet, when we think about what the law is, the law was a covenant God had with us that we inherently broke time and time and time again. Paul tells us in Romans that the reason we, we don't worship because of the law is the law has no power to save us. It's a document. The speed limit sign doesn't change the fact that you're driving terribly. It just tells you you've broken the law. Paul says in the same way, the law has no power. It can't transform anybody. It's just a document that shows you you're messed up and headed towards death. He said, and yet, there was glory in the law. It was an amazing thing. It's a beautiful thing. The law is a good thing, but it brought death, it brought condemnation, and it was for a time. But when we meet Jesus, Jesus brings us life that we can't earn. He gives us his righteousness that we can't earn. And he puts us into this relationship with God, into this covenant with him that lasts forever and ever and ever. He so, said, man, the Old Testament was glorious. But the ministry we have today, it is amazingly 
more glorious. Paul says, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. You wonder why Paul's so bold? He says, because I have a hope like that. Because that's the nature of my relationship with God. And yet when we read that, a lot of times we think, well, I believe all this. And I'd say amen to that. And I know it's true. But I'm not bold. I mean, it almost seems like it would be easier to be bold if we lived in the Old Testament. You know, if every week I came up and your face is lit on fire or something, I'd be like, yeah, I'd have no problem going out and telling the world about Jesus. Something crazy is happening here. If every time you read the word, you looked up and zoom, and your coworker said, whoa, what just happened to you? He said, well, every time I read the Bible, it's so powerful and true that my face lights on fire. I don't think it would be that difficult to share the gospel in those circumstances. Paul says, because our hope looks like that, we are bold. We're more bold than Moses. I think the reason that we don't feel that boldness is when Paul says we are very bold, he doesn't mean we're bold to go out and share the gospel yet. The boldness he's talking about is a boldness that comes in our relationship with God himself. This word for boldness is used throughout the New Testament, and every time it's used, it talks about our relationship to God. The author of Hebrews says that because we have a high priest who's gone through the heavens on our behalf, Jesus, the Son of God, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. We can walk into the throne room and approach God, not in trembling that we'll be destroyed, but because we've been made righteous and given life by Jesus Christ, we can come to God with our prayers and talk to him like our Father. We have an amazing boldness that can never have been had before because Jesus has died for our sins. Because Jesus has given us new life. Because Jesus has given us his righteousness, we can be very bold in our faith. Because it's not about us. It's about him. We're his. And so we have boldness. Moses is, an example, is not an example of a coward. He didn't put the veil over his face because he was so sad about what was happening. He didn't want anyone to know. He, he, he was an admirable man. He put the veil over his face because the glory was fading away. He didn't want the people to fixate on the glory. He didn't want people to worship him, anything like that. And so Moses kind of hid the fact. He was humble about it. Paul says, well, we don't, we don't have to be like that anymore. Because the glory that God has in us is not going anywhere. The fact that God has transformed your life, nothing's changing that. You move from death to life, you can't die again. God has saved you from your sin, you can't be unsaved from that. God is transforming you in your life, and things are starting to change. No one, no one can take that away. God is doing a great work in you, and he who began the great work in you will carry it on to completion. It lasts. It's real. It's irrevocable what God is doing in your life. Paul says, because we have a hope like that, we are bold. We're not like Moses, who would hide his face. Powerful ministry, Paul says, happens within the Christian community. He says, we, with all, who with all with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul says, here's how life works in the Christian faith, in the new covenant community. Number one, God takes away the veil. 
So we all have this veil that covers our hearts. We can't see God. It's, it's like groping through darkness to find him. And one day we hear the gospel of Jesus. God removes the veil and it makes sense to us. God takes away the veil. Second thing that happens is we let our light shine. The glory comes on us and God starts transforming our lives. Until third, we are all transformed and amazed. We are all transformed and amazed. This picture of us with unveiled faces reflecting the Lord's glory is a picture of us as the church of Jesus Christ, all being people who have been transformed by him, reflecting that glory to the people around us and beholding each other like we're looking into a mirror. That's the language of reflecting. Some of your translations say beholding. It's like looking into a mirror and we can see that glory. We can see that God is changing us. We can see that God is changing the people around us. And as we do that, we grow together into the image of God. We look more and more like Jesus as he turns us more into his image, as he shaves away some of those rough parts of our lives, as he grows us into new areas of our lives, as he uses us to reach lost people, we start looking more and more like Jesus when he walked walked the earth. We're being transformed as we behold this glory from glory to increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, he says. That's the boldness that we have. And if you've ever been part of a small group, a community where God is doing great works, you know that there's something invigorating about being in a place where God does mighty things. You watch someone else's life change, and it changes you. You start praying together as a community for lost people, and they start getting saved, and it's this catalytic moment. It's like a snowball that starts rolling down a hill and getting bigger and bigger and bigger because as God's glory is bouncing off of each other and doing great things in your group, you're all just growing in exponential ways. So that's the kind of boldness I'm talking about. That's why I'm fired up about New Covenant ministry, Paul says. Powerful ministry happens within the Christian community when God takes away the veil, we let our light shine, And we are all transformed and amazed. And yet this is a talk on evangelism. And that's where Paul's going with this. And I love the fact that Paul doesn't go straight from ministry and Jesus is awesome so I go out and tell everyone. He starts with this kind of reflective bouncing glory thing and says here's how evangelism works. Here's how I'm able to bring so many people to Christ. Here's how I can go from city to city and city and see God do mighty works in me. Powerful ministry overflows into evangelism, Paul says. And if you look through the outline we've built this morning, powerful ministry is all about God. It's amazingly glorious. It brings life and righteousness and eternality. It happens within the Christian community as God takes away the veil, lets our light shine and transforms us. Paul says in the same way, That's how evangelism works. I'm not like a gospel salesman trying to weasel my way into people's homes to sell them a product they don't want. I'm not getting up in front of people and distorting the truth to try to make it manipulated for them, to try to trick them into believing. I don't feel the pressure having to go and close the sale like it's up to me. Because I understand that ministry is about God and it's glorious and he does the work and people are veiled until God opens their eyes, boldness becomes easy. The confidence comes easily. My competence is in him. Listen as I read verses 1 through 6 of 
chapter 4. So since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we don't lose heart. Rather, we've renounced secret and shameful ways. We don't use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And if the gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So as we show up in a city, we don't trick anybody. We just set out the gospel. And some people don't believe it. And when they don't believe it, it's not because we didn't do a great job. It's because they're blind. And we pray that God would give them sight. And sometimes when we present it, God gives them sight and they believe. That's why it's so easy. We're simply throwing the seed. We're witnesses. We saw Jesus do a mighty work and we tell people about it. He says it's not about us. Verse 5, he says, we don't preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. And ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let the light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. If you understand the way that ministry works, that God transforms us and works mightily and does all the work himself, and we're merely his witnesses, evangelism becomes a little more tangible. Now imagine I decided to start a vacuum sales company. And I was recruiting salespeople, door-to-door salespeople. Many of you probably wouldn't sign up because door-to-door sales is terrifying. Some of you are like, sign me up, I love that stuff. Okay, you're different than us. <laughs> the reason we don't want to do the door-to-door salesman thing is because it's so painful. You come up with this vacuum and you kind of like stick your foot in the person's door and throw dirt in there. <laughs> like, hey, look, uh, you've got dirt in your life. Can I come and clean it up? I've got a product that cleans up the dirt, right? And you just know you're just weaseling your way into that house because you believe in your product and, and yet they don't yet. So you have to convince them and convince them and convince them. That's why nobody wants to be a door-to-door vacuum salesman unless you're one of those people who loves that stuff. But imagine I said, no, 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 no. My business model is way different. I, I want to make it easy for you. It's a, it's a great vacuum. It sells itself. So, okay, what do I do? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to a door, bring your vacuum, Knock on the door, and when it opens, a person will be there. Say to them, hey, I have this vacuum. Would you like to buy it? And most of the time, they'll say, no, thank you. And you say, okay, thanks for your time, and you walk away. And you go to the next door. Hi, would you like to buy a vacuum? Um, No, not today. Okay, no problem, no problem, no problem. Hey, would you like to buy a vacuum? Are you serious? A vacuum? Yeah, I've got a, I've got a vacuum. Do you want to buy it? My vacuum just broke down. Uh, I was just in the living room, and I was have all this dirt in my life, and <laughs> I've been trying to scoop it up with my hands, and, and I started feeling, you know, there might be a better way, and someone mentioned at work the other day that there's this vacuum that can come and clean up all the dirt, and and you've got it, you've got it. Can, how much is it? Well, it's free. I'll take it, right? Okay, cool, all right, very good. 
hey, uh, you want to buy a vacuum? No, okay. <laughs> Got this vacuum. Get out of here. Okay, okay. Hi, would you like to buy a vacuum? A what? A vacuum? I've never, I've never seen a vacuum before, but just, just today. I was having this hard day, and my kids threw up all over the house, and I threw down that stuff that dries it up, and now I've got this gross barf powder everywhere, and I just, <laughs> I, I, I just for the first time in my life prayed, God, if there is a vacuum, <laughs> could someone bring one to me? And then my do- I got up from a prayer, and you're standing there, and you have this, this vacuum. I, I don't have much. How, how much is it? It's free. Oh, I, I love it. Thank you. So- if that's what vacuum salesman, salesmanship was like, we'd all sign up, right? <laughs> Paul says, that's why ministry is so easy for me because I'm not weaseling my way into people's homes, convincing them to buy a product they don't want. I just set it out plainly. And yes, some people slam the door in my face. But you know what? The best thing about this type of vacuum sales is you know it's not about you. And so you can't take it personally. They don't hate you. They're just blind to vacuums. And so one day you go, you knock on the door, they say, no, thank you. The next day you knock on the door, they say, no, thank you. The next day you come back to the same house, and all of a sudden, they're praising God that someone brought a vacuum to their porch. <laughs> so that, that's my view of ministry. That's Paul's secret. That's how he had confidence. That's how he had competence was he didn't have competence. He says, my competence comes from God. I, I'm just willing to go and share my story, and God does the work. We watched that Mark, Mark video from earlier with Mark Nugent talking about going out to Buffalo Bills with a guy. That's a beautiful picture of how evangelism is supposed to work. You're spending time with someone who doesn't know Jesus, and you get to talking about how your lives have changed over the last five years, and you say, hey, well, my life's changed in large part because of Jesus. And sometimes people will say, oh, that's cool. Well, my life changed because I got a new job, and they move on. Other times, someone is going to say, wait, what? Tell me more about that. And when God opens their eyes, then they see. And he does the work. <laughs> I love how Mark leaves the, hanging out with this guy, and then a few weeks later, the guy just shows up at church on his own. Like Mark was faithful to plant that seed, didn't know what was going to happen, didn't like close the sale or anything. It just plants the seed. And that seed starts to grow. And the guy knows, oh, Mark goes to that church, I'll check it out. And he shows up, and he starts listening and connecting, and it's like that veil is gone. And if you've ever had someone around you come to know Jesus, what they always say are two things. One, they say, I came to church, and I heard the gospel for the first time. I don't think they heard it for the first time. I I think they heard it for the first time. Because there was a veil, God says, that covered their hearts, and now it's gone. And and the seed goes through, and now they hear it. They didn't hear it for the first time. They just heard it for the first time. And second, they always say, it's like the pastor was speaking right to me. Sometimes they get mad and say, who told you? (laughs) Paul says, we're not preaching ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves is your servants for Jesus' sake. The gospel's veiled. It's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this world is blind to the minds of unbelievers. Yet only in Christ is it taken away. 
This week, where can you be a witness? Where is there a place that you already know that you can walk somewhere and share that good news? Not take it personally when they say no, and not take it personally when they say yes. Say, so, you know, I'm just going to be faithful to scatter the seed, to tell the story, to be a witness of something that I saw that happened to me. For all of us, as we close our time this morning, I would love to spend a little bit of time in prayer that God would start bringing those opportunities to us. That we would be mindful that there are people in this world who are going to ask us questions that God wants us to answer. Or who we're going to notice that are looking a little downcast and he wants us to go and say, hey, what's going on? We can give him a prayer. We can give him a story of the gospel. We can give him a little bit of our story. We can give him an invitation, whatever it is. But let's pray that God would give us those opportunities and that as we seize them and simply are witnesses, that he would do amazing work that changes people's lives forever. Let's pray together. Father, this text for all of us is humbling and empowering. We're humbled that a God like you would be, use people like us. When we think of the verses that come right after this, where Paul says, the reason that, that you, God, use broken people like us, you carry your treasure in jars of clay, is to show that the all-surpassing power is from you, not from us. We pray that we would not just be humbled by that, but find immense freedom and passion there, knowing that you've simply called us to be witnesses of what we've seen and experienced, and that you'll take it from there. Let us grow in our confidence and in our competence by realizing that both of those things are from you. We pray that the people around us who have veils covering their eyes, that you would take those away. And when we have an opportunity to share the gospel, it would stick and make sense and transform them for eternity. Pray this morning for anyone in here who has the veil covering their hearts. That in Christ you would remove it. That even this morning as they hear that story of Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection from the grave, that it would be like they were hearing it for the first time. That the God of the universe would humble himself, put on human flesh, live a perfect life, and yet die as our substitute. So that if we simply believe in him, he'll take away our sins and replace them with a new life that will start in this moment and last forever and ever and ever. Pray this morning that that gospel story would be the, cent the centerpiece of every aspect of our lives, that we would share it, that we would embrace it, that we'd find our identity not in anything we do, but in you who gives us life. And that as we are being transformed by you into your image, that it would be amazingly contagious in our church community, and around the world. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear additional messages, or you're interested in finding out more about Neighborhood Church, please visit our website at threecrosses.org. That's the number three, crosses.org.